Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for 1 Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today, we are recapping the notable rookie performances from preseason week one. Going to spend a lot of time on the quarterbacks and look at some other rookies around the league. And then at the back end of the show, interview with Herm Edwards of Arizona State. We didn't run it initially. He's going through some allegations, but we have overcome those. I don't know if he has. we got to air this thing. It's freaking hilarious. He's great. He's fantastic. So good on the mic. Perfect for media. And that, the, the, arguably a better one. Coastal Carolina head coach Jamie Chadwell is a legend. Dude shows up on the Zoom with a damn mullet. It's, uh, it's, it's a good time. Coastal Carolina head coach Jamie Chadwell right after Herm Edwards. Let's get it. Mike, this is our last two-for-one drafts. This is it. This is the last two-for-one drafts. We are officially rebranding to new name to mm. be announced soon Yeah, on Monday, August 23rd. Initial inaugural episode, two-for-one drafts in the rearview mirror. How does it feel? I'm a little sad End right of an now. era. End of an era. I guess that when you approached me two years ago, I was about doing a podcast with you. Obviously, I was like, hell no, but then you made me. So it's been good since, you know? It's been okay. I think it's been okay. But uh, I'm excited for this rebrand, man. The logo looks sick. The new colors, the, um, the music. It's going to be unreal, bro. Yeah. I am. I am. We've fun, got some, we got some other really, fall. really cool plans tied to the rebrand as well. And that starts August 28th. We, as in Mike Renner, myself, and one of our podcast producers, David Sofaro, are taking a trip to Illinois, specifically Champaign, to see Nebraska, Illinois, Brett Bielema, Scott Frost. We're going to be in the press box. We get there Friday, Friday morning. They're giving us a tour of the facility. I think they're having a speak at a class as well. I don't mm-hmm. know if Dave told you that. Yeah, we're speaking at a class as well. Wait, um, you're serious? I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're speaking at a class, going to the game, and we are there Friday night and Saturday night. So if you are in Holy the Champaign shit. area and you are a two-for-one drafts fan, Make sure to reach out. Send us a DM. I need that, like Nike, Carmelo Anthony commercial. The I'm coming home one. Yeah, from for me because obviously I went to school probably three blocks away from Memorial Stadium there in high school. Grew up just outside of Champaign. It's the worst football town in maybe America. No one likes there. They don't even care. Then my friends who went to Illinois, I had a bunch. They are football fans, both football Bears fans. Did not even go to the Illinois football games. They would not even go to football. I, like that's unfathomable to me that you would be a football fan and not go to the college that you attend. Well, it's because they're that bad. Like, I'd be remiss to say this rough. though. They were originally plus eight Illinois at home, plus eight against Scott Frost, Nebraska. They're mm-hmm. plus seven now, and still PFF Greenline, which went live yesterday, sees value on our fighting Illini. So I'm excited. I already put some cheddar down on the Illini as we head that way. But we're really excited about it. They don't have the chief anymore, right? But they're still yeah, they're still the Illini. Never mind. Yeah, they're the fighting okay. Illini. Cool. I met, uh, the whole the chief got removed when I was in high school and it was a whole hullabaloo. Was, really? Yeah. Wow. They were when I was at San Diego State, leadership is pushing, might be still pushing to get rid of the Aztec and change the name of the school. Yeah. Uh, the the number yeah, one so this team who is trying to get rid of the Aztec the number one thing, I think their biggest error 
was I think obviously there's a lot of reason to remove the Aztec, and I get behind a lot of what they're saying. But their number one error is what they suggested to change it to. They want to be the San Diego State Sand. I was like, dude, that's ass. Like you could if I think if they swung a bigger bat on the new name. Sand. I think they could have got it all done, but San Diego State Sand would have been a freaking disaster. No one likes sand. Sand's like universally disliked. It gets everything. Being in that room, I was like, dude, fuck, you wrecked it, man. You, yeah. you had me, you had me, you had me. No. <laughs> Can't just change it to the sand. All right. Um, wait, wait, can I tell a story about what, about, so you, I get a Venmo out of the blue from you for 80 bucks for gas money for this. Uh, do you have any clue how much gas costs? I thought so. I looked up. It's two hundred thirty-three miles there and back, or there. Okay. So it's five hundred miles total. Okay. And then I looked up. Um, I average miles per gallon. I went like twenty. I did twenty miles okay. per gallon. Divided that by twenty, and then I times that by. I think I did like four dollars a gallon. <laughs> gas is not four dollars <laughs> a gallon. My car gets like thirty plus miles a gallon. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you just. It felt like someone who's not had a car ever it, in their it, life. It, so know? I have not had it a car like in four years. It was like Donald Trump's valuation of how much a <laughs> banana costs or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had a car in four years. So I apologize for the overshare. <laughs> but thank okay? you for the... Not a problem. <laughs> not a problem. All right. Before we get into the rookies here, obviously the biggest news entering this day is uh, another end of an era. The Tim Tebow era in mm. Jacksonville. Yeah. So many people... That guy yeah, it has... ends the quarterback competition there, sadly. Man, I, he, was, I, he was awful. I, I mean, can't he, get he, over the unrelenting, unwavering support Tim Tebow has. I tweeted out that he had the league, the league's leader in jersey sales for multiple weeks, and then got cut after 16 preseason snaps. And the most common reply was something along the lines of, "And what's your point? I still would have bought one." It's like, what is going on? The, the point is, not even that Tim Tebow sucks. The point is that there are that many dumb people who bought a Jags jersey for a guy that didn't even play a football game. I yes. mean, were more Jack is that like the most jersey sales for a player that's never played for that team? I was thinking about it. Like maybe Antonio Brown for the Raiders because <laughs> he never ended up playing a regular season game. Ooh. No, I mean, but it has to be Tebow. I mean, yeah. that he sold an insane amount of jerseys. The thing that i always come back to is he just never should have been a first round pick josh mcdaniels ruined this for everyone like the ex he set the expectations it's there not tebow's fault when yeah when the expectation should have been like fifth round he should have been like ian book that's like what he was coming into the nfl like probably a little bit better but like he should have been like fourth fifth rounder yeah like he never should have been where he was drafted to then set those expectations to then keep him and then obviously you're getting on my side i bring yeah. that up all the time expectations can ruin someone yeah. when you draft someone over draft someone it could it could keep them from ever being the player that they were. That's why someone tweeted out recently like the worst EPA per dropback among all quarterbacks with at least 500 crop dropbacks in their career. Josh Rosen I think was the worst. And you look down that list and there's so many first rounders. It's like oh how's the NFL so bad at seeing talent? How's the NFL so bad at seeing talent? It's like no, all those people one were given a long enough niche, leash to play over 500 dropbacks, and two, you set the expectations so fucking high, and then they just got like, crumbled beneath them. You know, I think that's uh, that's the bigger problem. But I will say, the 16 snaps he did play that preseason were absolute comedy hour. Like it was fucking incredible, dude. It was so good. Where do you think he goes next? I had a handful of people Tebow? asking. Yeah, obviously TV, but like where? Uh, box. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Joins the what's the what's their Saturday show called? The one with Brady and Weiner and Reggie Bush. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Pride Joy's there. I like that one, though. That's a good one. I mean, it's... It's not it's, as good as Game Day. It's not as good as Game Day, but they do... They take a different slant on Game Day. is obviously the storylines, mm-hmm. and they have very good information from that perspective. But I thought... Gosh, what the fuck's the Fox show called? I need to look I'm at it. But college pregame show? Well, whatever that is. It's definitely not. They that do creative. a little bit more. They do a little more high level football talk on that show, in my opinion. They do like more X's and O's, more how when Urban was on, they would do a lot of good coaching stuff about how he teaches guys to do uh, whatever techniques. So I'm a fan of. They they both serve their purpose. Oh, big noon kickoff. Big noon, big noon kickoff. Yeah, which that. I think is horrendous. Um, I have one more story to tell before we get on. I was at the NC. AAF meeting, annual meeting this yeah. past weekend in Nashville. The National, no, it's the NFAA, National Football Awards Association meeting, where you're yeah. meeting with oh, okay. the Maxwell yeah, yeah. people, the Fred Blitnikoff people, the Heisman people, and we also met with ESPN, the people who run, the producers who run Game Day. Oh, nice. That was a fascinating conversation. She was elite. Talk about someone who's just absolutely in her bag at every single step of the way. Yeah. But what was there, well, I have two things. One, those the awards people are a group of people that are all just like I want to maintain the integrity of college football hmm. and find ways to like pay for that you know I mean find find unique ways to like continue to present that and move that forward. Two, Fred Blitnikoff, Blitnikoff guy is the most amazing person I've ever met in my entire life. His name is Walter Manley. He is. I, like just one of the rarest human beings ever. He's like a seven-time educator of the year, went to Harvard, Duke. He's just this monster that uh, I actually got to sit next to. And his entire conversation at dinner was just who are the five best college football running backs of all time. Mm-hmm. And it was like honestly incredible. He was like dog and Emmett Smith. It was it was incredible. But a really good time at the College Football Awards meeting there. Um, cool. Well, let's go ahead and get into this, starting with the quarterback, starting in where they were drafted order. Okay. Let's go with – Trevor Lawrence to start your initial reactions. So the very first play from scrimmage, he takes this like awful sack, and I'm like, the fuck was that? Like it was, it was unlike anything. It just looked like a different player than what we saw at Clemson. Now we kind of settled in. Only what eleven dropbacks. It wasn't anything to really make huge sweeping generalizations one way or the other on. But he looked a little just like. Uncharacter- some uncharacteristic stuff. I put erratic. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, a little uncharacteristic, just waving on like an easy out route, just overthrowing. Yeah, that it. one was weird. Yeah, like some stuff there, just like, eh. And obviously, it looked like he was a little nervous. Like, yeah, if I were to say, it just didn't look like the comfortable guy we saw at Clemson. So, it g- looked like that guy we saw in the second half against LSU. A little bit. Yeah, I could, I could see that. So, the T Law, still TBD. You saw the really nice throw on the kind of. You're not play. willing to throw out him entirely and call him a bust. No, not yet. But we will have a segment about that <laughs> about busts here during our new Show. podcast. Yeah, but T Law kind of just meh, just meh. That's how I felt about it. Meh. Look nervous. I'd say I'd say nervous is a great one. I put erratic. I definitely think uncharacteristic is a really good way to put it. You obviously have to highlight kind of that best throw of the night. But I think a lot of people are like, oh, my God. And it went over Twitter, and everyone's just like, oh, my God, Trevor Lawrence. Going to Marvin Jones right over Greg Newsom, yeah, yeah, by the way. Yeah, it was way. a sick throw. It was a sick throw. But it was also – he had like eight seconds in the pocket. Yeah. It and was it wasn't even like broken. the original route. It was yeah. a scramble route, and he just kind of puts it on him, which is great. It's a sick throw right over Newsom. Um, but still, it's like the times where he had to actually like work and operate the offense, it definitely didn't mm-hmm. look like what you wanted to see. Um, and there wasn't a level of comfortability that you wanted to see. Maybe it's because Gardner Minshew was on his ass. I mean, the number two is not an option. Can't. That quote was incredible. I don't know who he said it to, but he said he hasn't taken a shit in weeks because number two is not an option. That's phenomenal. It does blow my mind that they haven't traded him yet, Gardner Minshew. 
It's oh, like it'll could, come. It'll come. I, I just think they could get a lot back in return. Yeah. All right. Next quarterback down the list, Zach Wilson. I thought the biggest takeaway for me, can I start here? Yeah. Biggest takeaway for me, dude put, can still put some mustard on it. I mean, yeah. he's got that arm talent. He threw that out route to Corey Davis. I think was not as good as maybe advertised on Twitter, but like nice. still like could, yeah. still fired it in there. And they had another throw beyond the sticks as well where it's like, okay, he could put it on. And I think when, you know, I've talked a lot about arm talent and why, you know, I think it would be an easy narrative, if not takeaway from the last two to three years, even four years, that arm talent is giving quarterbacks such an edge in the NFL. And you're seeing quarterbacks with arm talent have a lot of success of late. And I think a lot of it is because, you know, talking to these college coaches, where the NFL college where college football in the NFL is going is attacking space and, and, and spreading things out. And when you have arm talent and when you can actually effectively hit those people who are spread out and in those spaces, you can win. I think you saw that with Wilson, man. Like they're spreading things out, and he can still fire it into the tight corners. Um, that was an impressive performance for me. Yeah, I, th- I mean, it was nine dropbacks. I-, I liked what I saw a lot. Uh, the biggest thing to me was just the timing and the fact that he was on er- every route that needed to be hit uh, on time. He was so that's that's something that obviously at BYU he got a reputation for being this outside the pocket, playmaker, whatever, but you still have to win. You, you still have to be on point from the pocket in the NFL if you're going to be that high-end guy to justify that number two overall pick. Yeah. And you very much you very much at least look like that, like I said, only nine dropbacks. But, yeah, the arm, I kept saying he had untapped arm potential because he just physically was underdeveloped. Like, I think he could get stronger, bigger, and then the stronger you get, the more fucking zip you could put on with the way he throws the ball. Number three, or I want to mention one more thing on Trevor Lawrence. I think the other part of this Jacksonville Jaguars conversation I was having, I had a radio hit recently, and everyone's like, you know, how soon until Trevor Lawrence is, you know, leading the Jags in the playoffs? I think a lot of this, I think something that's getting underrated with how cool it is that the Jags have Trevor Lawrence is that there's a lot of newness in Jacksonville. Like, you, you have a new coaching staff. Yeah. You have a new quarterback, new running back. There's not a lot of familiarity with receivers. Like, this is going to take some time. Like, I don't think it's going to be something that hits the ground running. There's not a lot of, like, veteran presence on that football team, specifically the offense or the sideline. And I think that is going to show up. Like, that, that's not something that's going to be quickly overcome. I think don't be, a, don't be surprised by, like, week six, Trevor Lawrence has, like, a 68 grade and has looked up and down. Like, I, I honestly – and it's not going to be a death knell to him. It's just going to speak to you know, speak volumes to the newness in this team. All right, number three, Trey Lance. Obviously had the 81-yard bomb, I think, to Kent Sherfield. He was wide open, hit him right on time. It was it was a very cool throw, and it was a pro day throw. So awesome. where you roll out left yeah, and you left right. drop it down, it's cool. That was Everything like that. outside of that was ass. <laughs> that was, he, he was easily the worst of the bunch, in my opinion. Absolutely. And I don't think it was that close. He had Well, outside of uh, just the rookies, A.J. McCarron put together the worst preseason quarterback performance I've ever seen. I've ever seen. And it was a veteran. <laughs> like, he looked lost. Like, he was playing the sport for the first time. Uh, Felipe Franks came in there and didn't even play well, but it looked better. Like, that's how sad that McCarron thing was. I don't think he, I don't think he makes the 53. Oof. Uh, but yeah, Lance, like I said, the, that throw was sweet. If you didn't, whatever, watch the game, you might think he'd had a great performance, but a lot of broken pockets, um, a lot of some inaccurate throws, a couple awful, awful decisions with the football. Ends Drop picks. Three turnover-worthy plays. Yeah, he just misses a flat defender on an out route. That was like a just rookie mistakes. A lot of rookie mistakes on his tape so far. Also, a lot of mistakes but, that maybe you'd see but he someone is, who hasn't played in 2019. I was going to say, <laughs> the guy who's played one game in the last, whatever, 20 
months might look like that. So I, I don't think you expected it to look too much differently. I doubt, and this is why I doubt he starts. Like after seeing that, he's a. It seems like he's probably a long way to go to starting to a starting job there in San Francisco. The flashes are sick, though. They're sick, yeah. And I think the stat, I think PFF tweet out, I thought was interesting. Jimmy Garoppolo on a lower sample size, I think he had a 1.7 average depth of target, while Lance obviously had the high one, but it's okay, he had that bomb. Yeah, I think that one went 43 air yards, like, without a fucking hitch. It was yeah. it was pretty beautiful. Um, I think next on the list is Mac Jones? It would be Justin Fields. Oh, Justin Fields, I'm an idiot. Go ahead. Fields was solid. Now, I-, I thought he started off slow. Oh, so bad. When he was actually going up against whatever. It wasn't until the, really the third stringers were coming in that he started to look better and still his legs are going to be a weapon and they didn't you really use it much because obviously you don't want to get him killed in preseason but he is still fast still big and fast still out running nfl defenders i think the biggest that part of his game didn't slow down that that, that was the biggest takeaway i had we always knew he was accurate I, i do still think he was a little late to some throws some reads nothing too bad there but i thought it was kind of a lot of people were obviously Bears fans looking for any sort of hope, and this definitely is hope, but I don't think it was as impressive as the next guy we're going to talk about in this list. First three drives. Or Zach Wilson's. First three drives for Justin Fields, a 32.2 PFF grade. A big part of that being the fumble he had. That was just boneheaded. Let's let that thing spill on a scramble. Then the last four drives, against, like you said, against the fourth, third stringers, mm-hmm. 84.4 PFF grade. Um, the other key stat I, cook, I took from this, um, highest average time to throw overall, and then even when kept clean, highest average time to throw by a mile. That, again, yeah, is not, it's not objectively bad, but that's what we saw at Ohio State. Yep. You know, he, he holds on to the football, and like you said, late to some things, all that stuff. But if they don't use his legs, I mean, it's going to be... Well, yeah, obviously, the pre-se- is, again, it's preseason. You're not going to do that, but... You know, if, you, if it's regular season, he's starting and you're not taking advantage of it. You're just you're doing it wrong. He's, it's such a weapon. Mac Jones. Talk about opposite of Justin Fields. This guy had the ball out quick. Dude. I think he had some of the, one of the quickest time to throws of any quarterback this you know so far this preseason. Operated the offense. I think everyone said it's like he looks the part. And all like that I mean, it fucking looked like Brady. It just yeah. did. Like the just the way he's going, just pepper it quickly. And th- and that's the offense though. That's that's. New England's offense, it's kind of like lull you to sleep with those, take what's there, take what's there, and then hit you deep. And he did have, when he had the one deep shot, took it. Yeah. Beautiful throw on the go ball, just dropped. Uh, I can't remember the receiver's hands. but uh, Christian Wilkerson. Yes. It was gorgeous deep ball. Was not, I'd say, perfectly accurate. I thought you saw some bad ball placement on a number of ones, but like his timing, the one I go back to is there's a third and three, Jacoby Myers, Hitch route, he throws before he even breaks, and he throws it. like It was good coverage, defender's right there, but throws it to the opposite side of the defender's leverage, and it's just like that was a conversion that it's rare to see guys operate that quickly and that this this like be trust guys to make plays like that first, play, first preseason game as a rookie. So that one, Mac Jones, if anyone, so we're talking about Fields, um, Lance, and Jones aren't penciled in as starters yet. If anyone could like overtake the current starter here soon, from what I saw, Mac Jones looked like the most likely. Wow. All right. Offense. Before we get to the offense, I have to let you guys know. DraftKings, official sponsor of PFF. Pacquiao versus Ugas this weekend. I think I'm saying that right. 
DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is offering 100 to 1 odds on a punch being landed at any point during the fight. I, that sounds that sounds like it's going to happen. I think I think what a, a punch will be landed. I don't watch a ton of boxing, but I think a punch will be landed. That's right. Bet $1 on either fighter, and if a punch lands during the fight, you will cash $100 in free credits. That sounds good. Um, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits when you bet on either fighter to win and a punch is landed during the fight. Place your bet and watch the fists fly this weekend. That's code PFF. Turn $1 into $100 in free credits only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Indiana, call 1-800-WITH-IT. All righty, DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm definitely, as we drive into Illinois through Indiana, I'm going to be chattering <laughs> on DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, when's, the, when's, when's Ohio going to fucking get this shit Dude, together? it was supposed to be Q3, and then the lawmakers take this. I was reading into it because obviously I'm invested. I was reading. They take this, like, summer break that lasts from, like, June to the end of August, bro. Classic. Like, these lawmakers are just, like, fucking summer break season, like, Teachers. They're like, like I was gonna say, like they're kids in high school. I was pissed. I was like, dude, get these back in line and make some plays, dude. We got we got the football season coming, but I think twenty twenty two is ultimately when it'll break, which is unfortunate. That's so stupid. I, we need Kentucky to show Kentucky up. Kentucky's show never up. gonna do it. Yeah, Kentucky's too. I mean, you gonna let that sin go? All right. Anyway, um, offense. Let's start with the offense here. First name I wanted to bring up: Rashad Slater. I thought Slater played really, really well. Did yeah. not play a ton. Okay, let's let's already catch up with that. I think he only had like eleven pass blocking snaps, nine run blocking snaps. It was not a lot of snaps. But we just brought up Trevor Trey Lance not playing, you know, only playing one game since twenty nineteen. I mean, he didn't play a lot of games either. You know, I think he yeah. he, he obviously sat out all of the twenty twenty season and came back and looked like really, really good. Like I was really impressed with what Rashawn Slater had. Looked good in the run game, clean in pass protection. The energy's there. I think uh Brandon Staley said this. You know, the fact that he wanted to go out and play more, he's in shape. And to be in shape even after a year off, I know, like, obviously he was working, he's working. But still, to actually show up and do it like that, um, I thought that was really impressive. I think he had a really, really good first debut in the NFL. Yeah, a few offensive linemen I thought looked really good. Slater, I think we said, like, he was NFL ready. The guy was technically the best offensive lineman in college football, even, like, 2019. The last time we saw him, that was two years ago. And he's obviously been working since then, uh, improving. So I thought he looked really good, and I thought another guy who took – a year off more than a year off shit walker little i thought looked oh, really yeah. good. first time we've seen him play since week one of 2019 and 41 pass blocking snaps got a ton of tape on him only two pressures i thought he obviously i don't think he's going to challenge cam robinson because they're financially invested in cam robinson but he looks like a starting tackle or could be soon enough here in the nfl a couple other tackles i had listed here sam cosme was a road grader in the run game Showed up. Was bullying yeah. kids, dude. Looked actually really good as a run run blocker. And Spencer Brown had the same kind of similar start. You know, that you rarely see this many tackles kind of pop off in terms of PFF grade in preseason week one. They looked good. Can I think it was a day of the class. It was a deep-ass class. Like, it yeah. was a very good off-line class. Dylan Radins. I have Dylan Radins on Dylan here, too. Radins I think too. he allowed, he allowed zero pressures on over 20 pass blocking snaps. Like, that's what you like to see. Yeah. Can we talk about Panay Sewell and the Gregory Rousseau rap? And the rap. And the rap. That burned Twitter down. That you that I immediately texted you. And I'm like, dude, that's not that bad. After, I know it's not that bad. I didn't say it was that bad. All I did was, for the clicks, put Gregory Rousseau versus <sighs> Panesu with eyes. And then you put eye emoji. Yeah. I What's know. wrong with that? It's, it's, two, it's two rookie first-rounders going head-to-head. Yeah. And, it, and so, Gregory Rousseau gets his hand on the QB. 
Yeah, I mean, he got the sack on that play. He flattens uh, Sewell a little bit. Sewell's still, I mean, not playing a year. He was going to be, a, I don't want to say, a little bit more of a work in progress than obviously Rashawn Slater just was behind the curve in that regard. And obviously switching positions from left tackle to right tackle, it's going to be different. But he didn't play bad. Like yeah. He did not play bad. It wasn't bad. bad. It I, was not, I said it was, in a tweet followed up after I was getting absolutely ruined by the future of Detroit, the only thing to really glean away from that Sewell-Rousseau rep is that Rousseau, Rousseau's arms are long and Halapuli Vitae Vitae got absolutely dog. And he did. Like, that's it. Like, Harrison Phillips took Halapuli Vitae and threw him into the blender. Jared Goff couldn't step up, so he was deep in the pocket. And then Great Rousseau's arms fucking stretch over Panay Sewell like a monster, and he's able to pull him, pull him down for the sack. He does have long arms. He does have – and Panay Sewell doesn't. But I mean, it's like you got to – Rousseau, that was, that was a nice rep for him. It was a good rep. It was a good rep for Rousseau. A lot of people are upset. A lot of people are like, Penesul did everything there. It's like, no, like that. that's not true. Yeah. Like, I, I just don't think that's true. Anyway. Um, one more off the line. I mean, one. it doesn't help that Jeff Schwartz, who I think we could crown him as the king of O-line Twitter, maybe Duke Mannyweather. Duke Mannyweather. Probably. Jeff Schwartz is also an Oregon alum. Okay. Let's, yeah. let's not let the bias show. No, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah. cool. I'm glad we brought that up because we're talking rookie tackles. Uh, let's put one more rookie offensive lineman, and then we'll talk by the other. Uh, we'll have two more. Two more. Quinn one Miners. Way. Miners, he's got to start over Lloyd Cushenberry. He has to. Well, what's he, crazy? He looked night and day. Compared. Yeah. What's crazy is Miners started at guard. Yeah. Next to Cushenberry. Cushenberry did not look all that great. And then Miners went and played center and still played really well. Because played two positions. Glass, Glasgow didn't play. Graham Glasgow. I don't think is that so. Why? Okay. He was, yeah. So that's why he started at guard. But he, he's. It's, this guy's going to be your starting center. I just see he was just so much better. And, and that's my opinion. Miner's better fit in the NFL. Nice. Um, one more positive, and then we have a negative for rookies. Rondell Moore, highest target share of any rookie receiver this past weekend. And man, we talked about it. It's hard when they drafted. Well, he didn't him. have the highest target share of did any he? rookie. Did he? Yeah, 37%. Oh, target share. Like, yeah. that. okay. I was going to say, because what's his face? Uh, Garrett Patterson? No, George, uh, Palmer, uh, Josh Palmer. Josh Palmer, gosh. He had six targets on – six catches on ten pass snaps. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, so oh, was, so wait, maybe, maybe, I did the, maybe I did the qualifier. It was like 15 routes though or something. Okay. That's so on me. Palmer looked good too. I, I thought Palmer and Rondell – Rondell looked like 2019 Rondell, not 2020 Rondell. Mm-hmm. He looked electric again. So that was nice to see. I think and obviously they perfect. got him involved a ton behind the line of scrimmage on those screens and stuff. And I think – you know, we said it when he drafted him. The Cardinals run more wide receiver screens than anyone. And the guy that led the yeah. team in screens was fucking Larry Fitzgerald. I was going to say, Larry Fitzgerald, legend, Hall of Fame wide receiver, was not a fit for that offense. Was not what they wanted, wanted at that position. Rondell Moore is what you want at that position. Sweet. All right, one negative offensive rookie here before we get to the defense. Jackson Carmen. Buddy. He doesn't look good. He didn't look good in week one. Let's call it what it is. Played yeah. guard, right guard. And I, so I didn't know this. So Quinn, Quinn chimed in when I was bringing this up before we were recording. But I was like, did you guys watch him? He looks a lot fucking bigger. He's got, he's got some thickness to that frame. Did they blow his ass up? And then Quinn was saying that there are reports that he's like out of shape and he's just, I don't know, like that. And then you have a nice little investigative journalism piece. He's at clutch. The bar here that Adam Pac-Man Jones got arrested at like every weekend. Okay. Oh, man. Is the report that I hear. Which, I mean... I saw Justin Fields out in Chicago when I was up there at downtown. And you can do that, but every weekend getting the rep that you're out every weekend is and then getting when the reports that you're out of shape is not good. It's not good. That's a bad. That's a bad combo. So some concern out of Carmen's camp right now. But you know yeah. we continue to move forward. It's still early preseason for everyone. 
preseason for everyone. Um, yeah, he before, looked this big boy. Before we get to the defense, what my favorite sponsor here at PFF? No, I can't say favorite. I probably can't like <laughs> contractually say favorite, but one of my favorites. Um, Home Field Apparel, man. They came out with Georgia this past weekend. It's sick. They came out, and you're wearing the shirt, Notre Dame shirt. They're, they have the Washington Huskies coming out this upcoming weekend. Um, it's awesome. They're a new partner for two foreign drafts, Home Field Apparel. It's a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis. Incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Home Field is in the middle of big new Saturday Season 2, where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at 12 p.m. Eastern for 16 weeks straight. They just recently released Kentucky, Wisconsin, Florida, and Georgia. But this Saturday, we've got the Washington Huskies. I love the t-shirts for how they feel. I think shirt feel matters. Even if it could be the coolest logo in the fucking world. If it doesn't feel good, I feel like I'm not a big fan. I think the the fit is really good for home field apparel. I like this. I, I ordered a ton of sweatshirts. I got Aztecs coming through. I'll make sure to don those on the podcast as well. Use promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. That is promo code PFF for 15% off. Get ready for college football tailgate season. Defense. Rookies. Start with Patrick Sertan. I think he had the highest NFL preseason debut for a rookie on the defense side of the ball we've ever seen from Ever. a grade perspective. But let's say this. Ever. Preseason grades, no, all grades on small sample size are polarized. Kind of, yeah. Because you're, you're dealing with such a – you have 10 plays, and two of them you grade really, really well in. Your grade is going to get stretched over there. And say you only have one negative play. So don't, don't, you're like 98.5. Did Sertan like literally not miss? Was God out there? No, it's like, okay, he had the pick six, which is awesome. And that's going to stretch his grade super high. Yeah. I mean, think about it this way. So his performance, if he had a pick six, and you extrapolate that to a full season, that would be a pick six. That would mean he'd have whatever, that many pick sixes. So that's why the grade. So <laughs> what do you mean? That would be that'd 17 have pick sixes. Pick sixes. <laughs> 17. The, 17. Excuse me. Gosh. But yeah, so Sertan. Fantastic. Box ticked. That's after yeah, after last year. That was dope. Yeah, after last year's uh so the how the cornerback class did last year is nice to see that, you know, you can actually show up. <laughs> show the fuck up as a rookie. That was nice. The other guy I really well, before we jump off Sertan, I think what I love about him is that all the reports are the same. And they're the same as his pre draft reports. Pro ready. Pro ready, mm-hmm. pro ready, and like even like you're talking to Shelby Harris, he was on his podcast. He's like, the "Dude's not a rookie. Like, he, we're gonna treat him like a rookie, but he's not. Like, he is a veteran in every sense of the word." And I think that's um, showing up. I mean, that's how you show up as a rookie corner is you don't play like a fucking rookie. Yeah. So uh, that was sweet for Sertan. Go ahead. Um, the other rookie corner I wanted to highlight, Marco Wilson, guy we talked a good deal about he was in on the, the pre-draft, show. who was just a roller coaster. Always been talented. He started as true freshman over C.J. Henderson at Florida. That's how talented this guy is in terms of just what he could do. Obviously had an all-time pro day, athlete for days, but just has been, couldn't even see the field at times at Florida because he was such a liability, such a head case. Um, But seeing him make, what, three pass breakups on six targets this past weekend, some desperately needed good cornerback play for... Arizona that's the other thing too is their cornerback room is interesting you know it could take Allen, marco wilson the two rookies yeah. byron murphy who changed his number i think to seven did you see how saucy he's looking lately mm-hmm. it's looking pretty fire and then obviously they lose patrick uh peterson and then i think who's the other veteran they have i was thinking i can't remember him now but they have they have a handful of young young talent 
in Arizona secondary. That it, it was, it's going to be interesting to see who wins those starting jobs. I mean, Marco Wilson, Tay Gowan are obviously guys that we liked, um, but we'll see. Yeah, Malcolm Butler. That was your signing Malcolm of the year. Butler. One year. Um, okay. Some of the other defensive backs here. You had Andre Sisco listed. Oh, dude, Sisco looks so good. And so at Syracuse, he was playing deep safety. Was your rangy, free safety, whatever, making plays. He was coming up. He was in the box the majority of the time and is blowing up wide receivers in the run game. Like, he's taking on blocks, something he really didn't do he much of. a terrible of. number, though. That's hard to go overcome. Oh, what's he? 38. or something. 38. 38. That's gross. 38's not awful. No, there's, it's gross. There's worse numbers in the 30s. Um, 39? 35's a tough. Oh, yeah. That's a bad look. Um, so, blowing up blockers had... Goes man coverage on a tight end, breaks up an out route. Like I thought, he looked very good out the gate, um, and just a different and showed it almost a different skill set than what he showed at Syracuse. Like we know he's a playmaker. Now he showed a little bit more of a, a little bit different sort of dude in the running game and his willingness uh, to sort of play down there. And he's he's always been big. He just never sort of utilized that size. Six foot two ten. Like he, he is a well put together safety. Uh, I think they got to go with Jacksonville. A couple linebackers on this list as well. Jeremiah Wusukormo, I thought, best player on the football field in that game. I think him also. Sick. The biggest thing about that performance for me is that he has not played in, like, he has not, he's been on, like, COVID list or something for the entire, like, um, offseason. So he has not been in a Browns uniform for a long time. And then he showed up and was a monster, like, a literal monster. So uh, that was. Yeah, the play he had against on a screen yeah. or whatever was very sick. Just. Getting to the spot, beating a blocker. He's just like very fast. Like he's, he's still very, very fast. He's flying sideline, sideline. He had seven defensive stops in yeah. a preseason game. Yeah. And so many of them were in coverage. Like he was flying to the sideline and keeping people obviously close to the line of scrimmage. I mean, I thought he had a really good game. Micah Parsons and Jabril Cox, I think both are playing really well. Parsons, Dude, go ahead. Parsons is a fucking animal. Like that, he looks, he looked like that obviously in college, but to see it in the NFL still just being different physically. And watching him on hard knocks, this, the time where he like Jabril Cox doesn't want to get hit in the helmet, and Parsons is like, "I'm gonna fucking hit you in the helmet." Was or like we've we've heard reports of this before, but <laughs> that he's just the man's a psychopath. Like it's just how he plays the game of football. Is he is out for blood every single snap, and it's it's great to watch on the football field. Maybe not so much off, but yeah, on the football field, it's great. He has a fumble recovery and a forced fumble in the last two games. He's obviously got a ton of tackles as well. And he hasn't even played a ton. Like, they're limiting his snaps like a motherfucker. He's not playing more than, like, one or two series a game. Yeah. So he's already having a ton of success. I think Cox looks good, too, though. He's playing in, like, the third and fourth quarter and flying around. He looks, like, very competent for a rookie linebacker, which, again, we've talked Just a ton how's about. Just he, how's he ever going to see the field? Yeah, yeah. Unless well, they Have you Jalen seen Jalen Smith run? Dude, it's been bad. Have you seen Leighton Banderesh run? Like, yeah. I know they want these guys to play significant roles, but like, oh my gosh! Yeah, Jalen Smith. It's it's really sucks because it's still the lingering effects of that knee injury. Like it was such a catastrophic. He just can't turn the way he used to. Yeah. Couple defensive linemen, then we'll jump to the interviews here. Oso Digizua has played the most snaps I think of any rookie in the preseason. Yeah. And Neville Gallimore, I think now has what a dislocated wrist might be out through week one, if not maybe just for week one. Um, but Oso Digizua is getting an opportunity. And he's playing well. If anything, at the very least, he's versatile and can actually hold up in the run game. That is something that they desperately need in Dallas. They had the worst defense tackles in the NFL last year. They were so abysmal. Because they just they went from a scheme where all they cared about was penetration to then actually having to you know hold up against double teams and whatnot. None of those guys could do it. Um, 
But Osa, I mean, he's playing one tech and playing it well at 280. Like, he, he isn't interesting body type on the interior, but he's so... I mean, like, what were his squat numbers? He squatted, like, 600-whatever pounds. Like, he's got some of the strongest legs for a 280-pound defensive lineman. He can just stand there and hold up against double teams. So I'm, I'm excited to see how he continues to develop. But his game against Arizona was great, in my opinion. Last two, Joe Tryon, I thought, looked fantastic. Yes, he was going against a dumpster fire Bengals offensive line. Sorry, Quinn. But... My biggest takeaway wasn't even on his pass rushing stats. I know he had that big hit. He got called for a penalty. That was cool. He had that ghost move or whatever. But I think the other thing was he had that run where he blew up like three blockers and then stretched that thing out to where it was limited to no gain. Like that, he looked really, really explosive. And then you combine his explosiveness and the success he had in limited snaps in preseason with what Bruce Arians has been saying about this guy. Yeah. I think you're starting to get to a point like, okay, this guy might be the real deal. That, yeah. It's, he's saying he's blowing up Tristan Wirfs and Donovan Smith in practice. He doesn't need any more pass rush moves. He's wearing a really cool number nine. I mean, there's a lot of reasons he should be happy about Joe Tryon. It's just physically how he looks. Is he what said really he got me. changed his body. And he, he looks, he looks different. Did. Yeah, it was a different player physically than what we saw. And, and that was kind of, he, he was the guy where like guys like him that opted out were what you worried about. Guys that hadn't shown it on tape wholesale yet. That if anyone, anyone in retrospect, any evaluator, sees what you he just put on tape in what twenty snaps this past weekend against the Bengals, if you could have seen that guy at all, he doesn't last to thirty two. He's not falling to thirty two. That that guy looked different than the guy we saw at Washington in twenty nineteen. And so I'm already like I we had him obviously way lower than thirty two on the PFF draft board because again didn't see it didn't see it. Now I've fucking seen it. That, that guy's going to be – he truly is going to be a – like that's what – you don't have to necessarily be an elite athlete, elite elite athlete to be a talented pass rusher, but a lot of the good ones look like that, and it gets you in the building. So Joe Tryon's going to be good. That's sweet. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Asai was the last player that I had listed. Uh, he had, I think, the highest pass rush win rate of any rookie edge player this past weekend. Um, he looked very good, again, against – backups but still um looked they, they had that one rep against worfs that people were calling on where it was a kind of a pass off thing i don't i, I wasn't it was just a miscommunication yeah that wasn't the rep was i was calling amazing. out i think osai looked really good he was chasing on the backside of runs like this yeah. was effort energy and i mean this looked like i mean he wasn't he didn't like stylistically look like carl lawson but like it was like production that carl lawson had that we haven't seen since him and it looked like another guy who had developed more physically like he looked almost different in terms of the physicality he was playing with at Texas, like he wasn't an actually an edge rusher until his last year Fair. there. Like he was an off ball linebacker when he was drafted, had just turned 21 years old, a young guy. And so to see him kind of executing more than like, he was pretty, it's kind of a pure speed rusher and how he operated at Texas last year, working actually like push pull moves, working actually like bull rushes against NFL offensive linemen was very encouraging. If you're a Bengals fan. Something that so I talked about Asai a little bit. I talked about Tryon a little bit, and um, on Twitter, and so many people couch these things with he's going against you know absolute garbage. It's like okay, if he didn't have a good game, would you be talking about? Him? I, I do think you have <laughs> yeah. to you have to there's play a lot well of against guys, those guys. Yeah, I was gonna say there's a lot of guys who are going up against absolute garbage. That's literally in ninety percent of the snaps in, in preseason. preseason. Yeah. <laughs> so if you look, and there are guys who don't play well. Yes, you know exactly. I, mean? like, I don't know. I think I think you can't you can't always say. 
he's going against nothing. He shouldn't even be praised. It's like, okay, so why are we even watching this? Like, you have to watch. Absolute garbage is harsh, but it's like going up against guys who aren't stars in the NFL. It's like, yes, 90%, that's 90% of preseason snaps, but some guys still look average Terrible. when you're playing. Yeah, there's that. a handful of rookies we didn't even bring up that have gone against literal non NFL starters and looked like butt. So, all right. Before we get to the interviews here with Herm Edwards of Arizona State and Jimmy, Jamie Chadwell of Coastal Carolina, got to bring up our sponsor. Maybe my other favorite, Western and Southern. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? Whatever difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. All right, let's get it. Herm Edwards, Monster, talks about... Um, Quarterback, I'm escaping my name, Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels. Daniels, Lole, a lot of exciting stuff from Herd Edwards. He also fires me up towards the back end of the podcast. And then we spend pretty much the entire Chadwell interview talking about this kid, Grace McCall, who I don't know if you saw my tweet, but he played last year at 185. He said like a, like a lean 185. And then this year he's up to 205. And everyone's talking about how much bigger he is and stronger he is. So that's exciting. I'm excited to hear. You guys should listen to these interviews. Herb Edwards, Jimmy, Jamie Chadwell. Let's get it. Now joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is current Arizona State head coach Herm Edwards. i got to be honest, man. I've been looking forward to this interview since we booked it. You are one of my favorite people to watch on TV. You're a fantastic analyst at ESPN. Obviously a fantastic coach for the Jets and Chiefs in your time. And now coaching there at Arizona State. Sunny Arizona State. 105 degrees out there in Arizona, man. It's great to have you on the show. Well, thank you for allowing me to to be part of it. And um, I'm just thrilled to death uh, about our program and kind of where it's headed. It's been a lot of hard work, our coaching staff. I think we're getting to a point now where um, this pro model is going to kind of take effect of of Mm -hmm. what we try to develop here. Absolutely. I'm super excited about Arizona State as well. I mean, there are high expectations. Returning, what, 15 starters this year? There's some expectations from interviews I've heard from your players. We want to go out there and win a Rose Bowl. We want to go out there and win a Rose Bowl. I think that's going to be a lot of exciting expectations. Before we get to you know some of the guys that are going to be contributing to this 2021 team, I think something fascinating about Arizona State and your tenure specifically, obviously coaching there since 2018, has been some of the development of the receiver talent. You've had opportunities to work with Brandon Ayuk, Frank Darby, Nikhil Harry, a former first-rounder. I asked this to P.J. Fleck, a guy that's obviously had a lot of success coaching up wide receivers at Corey Davis, Daniel Braverman, Rashad Bateman. What do you feel like is the most important when you're evaluating wide receiver talent, whether that's at the high school level or college level? And then what do you feel like are traits that are God-given, stuff that you need, that prerequisite to be good at the receiver position? And then what are these traits or characteristics of a receiver that you feel are most coachable from college to the NFL? Well, I think when you break down wide receivers, they come in all different sizes and shapes. But I think the most important thing is their ability to catch the ball under duress, um, how they uh, how they read coverage. And I think for college guys, what a lot of them struggle with is press, is when corners come up and really bump and run them. Mm-hmm. That, that's where you can see the separation of the guy that's going to go to the next level and the guy that might struggle if he has an opportunity to go to the next level. So with that being said, I just think that, you know, we've been very fortunate. Uh, we've had a, a crew of receivers. You just mentioned them. Um, we have some along the way, but they're all young. Uh, we, we had a very young receiving core. Frank was the senior, and everyone else was either a sophomore, and a bunch of freshmen in that class that I think mm-hmm. in a couple of years will have an opportunity. But I think the thing that I realized when, when I first arrived here is the fact that when you look at ASU's history, um, they've always had uh, at the skill positions, whether it was in the secondary, uh, wide receiver position, 
Mm-hmm. Even quarterback, runners, um, they've had a skill set of the historically when you go back, um, and you can name them, uh, they've had some players come through here. All of a sudden, that's starting to take place again, which I think is a good deal for our program. Oh, absolutely. I'd be interested to hear you speak more to uh, Nikhil Harry specifically. I think he's a guy coming out of Arizona State, obviously a former first-rounder that had a lot of high expectations around. And if you go back to his usage there at Arizona State before he entered the NFL, a lot of stuff near the line of scrimmage, leveraging that yards-after-catch ability, something that I feel is super important at the receiver position is that ability to take yards after the catch. You see that with Brandon Ayuk. You saw that with Nikhil Harry. Sticking with Harry here, what are your expectations now as you as he enters year three? You know, How does he take that next step in his development with the New England Patriots? Well, I think it's like anything else. Um, you know, the, com- the complexity of a system sometimes bogs guys down, right? Mm-hmm. And as we know, the New England Patriots have somewhat of a, a very complex system, uh, right? And, and now all of a sudden they get the change uh, with Captain America leaving and going to, to, to the Bucks <laughs> and Cam Newton coming in. So now you got a quarterback that really is trying to learn a system. You had a young receiver that in one, one season kind of played with Captain America, but Captain America left. And so now you have this quarterback wide receiver issue of how do they connect, and both of them are trying to learn a new system. I think Nikhil now is very familiar with what is going to be expected out of him. Um, you know, he, he is a talented young man. I think how they use him after they've watched him now work for the last two years will be critical. You know, mm-hmm. what do you do with a guy like that? Do you all do you line him up off the line of scrimmage? Because if he's let's just say if he's struggling with press, right? Because we've got big corners in, in the National Football League, right? Absolutely. They're not, they're not like like a lot of college guys are are, are still maturing, and a lot of times the kills he's a physical receiver. I mean, he can he has good speed, but he's a physical receiver, and he's the guy that can catch the ball under duress. The 50-50 ball, I mean, he's gonna win it 49% of the time, right? And so how do you get him off the line of scrimmage and how you use him? I think New England has learned a lot about his skill set, and I think he's learned a lot about the offense, so hopefully he'll have a really good year for them this year. I'd be interested to hear more about, you know, you, you spoke to a lot of the young receivers on this team. Some names that top, you know, top, pop off the depth chart right now, Utah transfer Brian Thompson, Elijah Badger there is another name that pops off the depth chart. Who are some names, young receivers there at ASU now, they're going to fill the shoes of a Harry, an Ayuk, a Darby, now that those guys have moved on to the NFL? Well, Johnny Wilson is one. He's, he's, a, he's a taller receiver. Uh, you, you mentioned two other guys. Um, but we have a host of guys. Porter's a guy now in third year. He's a vertical guy. He can really run. He's starting to mature uh, as a player as well. So, you know, we, we have some guys in the wings. Now it's just a matter of getting Jaden Daniels really familiar with those guys. And when you think about our season last year, we didn't play many games at all. I'm going to play four games. So, so Jaden was put in a position, too, as well. Well, we, we started play against uh, USC, and then we delayed for about three weeks. So with not a lot of practice time. So I think in the spring now, he's, he's more comfortable with those guys. And here again, um, when you think about receivers, who's going to be the guy? Well, somebody's got to work their way out of that. Uh, you know, and so someone's got to take the lead now. It, it, who's going to run with this? It'll be interesting. Uh, you, you mentioned some guys. It'll be interesting to see who really takes the lead because you're right. It was Nikhil, it was Ayuk, and it was Frank. And they all kind of knew, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in his shoes. Who's going to be that guy? It'll be, it'll be fun to watch it develop. 
100%. I'm glad you brought up Jaden Daniels. Really high expectations for the kid now entering 2021. There's reports that he's up to 200 pounds. I think there have been some report, you know, some people that are concerned with, is he too thin? Is he too frail? Those types of things up to 200 pounds now. What is the next step for Jaden Daniels? Because when I look at him and when I evaluate him as a player, you see the flashes, man. You see the stuff that pops off tape. He does things that are rare. And that's some of the stuff that you really look for in a quarterback prospect. Can he do some of these rare things? But beyond that, what do you feel like are the next steps for Jaden Daniels to live up to these high expectations to command an Arizona State team that can go out there and win the Rose Bowl? Well, I think like like anything, um, leadership and, and how he in big moments uh, has the ability to move the ball and make the plays that are necessary in big moments. And that's what that's what you really look at when you see quarterback plays. Not how many times you throw, but really in, in moments of when it's a big play. And he's been able to do that for us, whether whether using his legs or sometimes his arm. And now it's really the connection in the field he'll have with his receivers as well as his tight end. Uh, we have a tight end group that's steadily all of a sudden building in his program as well. So um, we know we have some runners, uh, two excellent runners that, that, that played very well for us last year, how they get into the mix. You know, any good quarterback understands he has a, he has the ability to distribute the ball, right? And I think Jade now will be more, familiar with all those guys and who gets the ball and especially in the big moment who does the quarterback trust that'll be interesting to watch this season to stick with the quarterback position, you know, in your time coaching, obviously coaching with the Jets, Chiefs, and now with Arizona State, you've, you've coached with a, coached a lot of really talented quarterbacks, Jaden Daniels included. I talked to Jed Fish recently, the coach of University of Arizona, and asked him what he feels like are the most important traits at the quarterback position. They're working through a three-person quarterback competition there at the University of Arizona. What do you feel like are the most important traits? Jed Fish told me decision-making and the ability to make all the throws in our offense. Do you kind of see that similarly, or are there other traits at the quarterback position that you specifically hone in on? Well, I think decision-making is critical, um, uh, you know, protecting the football. Mm-hmm. You have to protect the football. But for me, you know, how he operates, how, how he operates um, on third down in the red zone. You know, third down is a big down in, 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 any, in, in, in any level of football. The third down is critical. How do you operate on third down? Um, and then how do you, when you get into the red area, the high red, are you able to score points? Are you able to make those tight throws, right? Because there's a difference between kicking a kicking a field goal and a touchdown. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can kick two field goals down there, and somebody scores a touchdown, they still they're up by a point. <laughs> so, you know, for me, it's always been those moments. Uh, fourth quarter, you know, fourth quarter, and all the great ones do this. Fourth quarter, you know, you have one possession left. And if you score or bring the team in position to score, you have an opportunity to win. How do they handle that? Mm-hmm. And that's how quarterbacks are judged, and especially when you go on the road. Right? The good quarterbacks win on the road. They have to have their A game when they go on the road. When the pressure's on, they got to show up. I mean, they are the player that touches the ball every single play. I think that's an interesting perspective, one I haven't heard a ton, but I have to agree with wholeheartedly. Third downs, red zone, fourth quarter, on the road. When the pressure's on, you got to show up, and I couldn't agree more with you, man. Sticking with the offensive side of the ball, and I really appreciate the time, Coach. Uh, Donovan West. You know, on this podcast specifically, we talk a lot about NFL draft prospects, evaluating talent. He's the guy we're really high on, a notable talent along that offensive line, and he's leading what I think is one of the deepest backfields in the Power Five. I, I, I have high, high expectations expectations for West, high expectations for this rushing attack. Could you speak to West and his development and then how you feel this running backfield is going to do? Yeah, we brought him here as a freshman. He started as a true freshman. He's, he's really played 
every year that he's that he's been here. Now we moved him to center, and that's probably going to be his position if he has the opportunity to move on. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're right; he has a lot of experience. Don't lose sight of our left tackle. Um, he's he's pretty athletic. I mean, he, he's going to have an opportunity. To Talk to help. me. I want to hear more. Talk to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just keep an eye on our left tackle. I'm just telling you, just, just watch him as well. But, uh, you know, we're talking about the Donovan, obviously. And, and, and you know, he he's the guy now that when you think about it, had to play guard. Now he's into center. He's the kind of the, the quarterback of the offensive line, you know, how he reads uh, the fronts, uh, how he takes the information in, you know, the calls he's going to have to make at the line of scrimmage, right? Yeah. Change the line. Uh, that's important. But but he's been quite a player for us, and uh, we we expect uh, good things from him this season. Defensively, two two names that stand out for us right now are Jermaine, Jermaine Lolay and also Chase Lucas. I know Chase Lucas has also talked about in some interviews that he wants to go out there and win a Rose Bowl. And Lolay, one of the more disruptive players I've seen in the Pac-12, if not the Power Five, what he's done along the defensive line for Arizona State. Probably your two stars there, your two leaders on defense. Speak to the impact Lolay and Lucas are expected to have in 2021. Well, Chase has been here for quite some time. He's the captain of the team, um, and he has a, he's wonderful talented. And I think he's gotten better every, every year. You know, coming out of high school, he was a running back. Mm-hmm. And um, he's, he's starting to learn, you know, the concepts of how to play corner. And it's a tough, it's a tough position you got to play on defense, right? Hardest position in football is quarterback. You know <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so Alole is a guy that uh, he's sneaky. He just keeps making plays. You know, he's just and then we he, he here's another guy came in as a freshman at the play right away. So you mentioned those two guys. Um, uh, there's some more over there on the defensive side as well that had to play early. You know, Butler was a freshman playing uh, uh, that had to play. Merlin Robertson was a, was a freshman uh, that had to play, and you know he has a lot of playing experience. Uh, Jack Jones, uh, that was as, was an SC player that came here two years ago. Um, he's going to be a senior. He has that kind of talent to play on the next level. Uh, Evan Fields is one of our strong safeties. Uh, he has the ability, run, hit guy, uh, very fast, you know, good, good, good player in the box. So we're very fortunate. A lot of our guys decided to come back um, and they have a lot of experience. And now we got to take that experience and make sure that those are the guys that are leading this football team because they understand what it takes to play and, and win at this level. You know, we, we've played close a lot of times to some teams, and, and uh, but we got to learn how to win those games now. We can't play close anymore. We've got to win those games. You know, I asked your opinion about, you know, how you develop wide receiver talent and how you evaluate receiver talent. But people, you know, I hope people don't forget you're one of the more talented defensive backs in the NFL, have opportunities to coach defensive backs in your time. What do you feel like right now are some of the more important traits at the defensive back, you know, playing defensive back in the NFL? I know you said, I think on an interview recently, that if you were playing in the NFL today, you'd have 50 interceptions with how much they throw the football and those things. How much is ball production important? I know a lot of people talk about short memory, coverage versatility, loose hips. What are you looking for? For when in your defensive backs there at Arizona State and how those translate to the NFL? Well, what type of mindset does he have? I mean, you've got to be very, very competitive. I think that, that that's at all positions, but you have to have selected memory. And, you know, I think most, most defensive backs that can anticipate and see things visually, you know, formation recognition splits, understanding the concepts of what the defense – where the weak, I've always said this, when you understand the weakness of the defense, you know what the offense is going to try to attack. Mm-hmm. They're going to try to attack your weakness. You know, when you play a certain coverage, where's the weakness? And then you have to have great eyes. And I think the good ones 
The good ones can do this. The recovery skills are critical because you're always in a recovery mode when you play in the secondary, especially if you play corn. You're in a recovery mode. And then the key to me is when their back is turned away from the ball, and we see this in college football, we see this in high school football, we see this in pro football. Your instincts to anticipate when the ball is coming down, can you turn and make a play on the ball? And that is very difficult to teach, by the way. That is instinctive. <laughs> now, you, you do drills and you teach and all that stuff, but at the end, do you understand there's a, there's a mechanism in your brain when you're running down the field vertically, there comes a point where you know the ball is in the air and my eyes will tell me what the receiver's reactions are, what his eyes, what his hands, if the ball is about to come, his momentum uh, as he continues to run, if it's slowing down, at that point, you have to have enough courage to turn around and play the ball. It no longer belongs to the receiver. I've always said this as a defensive player. There's only one name on the football. In pro football, it's the commissioner's name. It doesn't belong to the offense. Once the <laughs> ball is in the air, it's actually a free ball. And if you have if you have anticipation skills and you can catch the football, you have a chance to take the ball away. And that's what's critical. It's one thing to knock the ball down. It's another thing to take it away. When you take it away, you eliminate a possession from the offense and you give your offense another possession. Hell yeah. That's freaking awesome, man. You got me ready to run through a freaking brick wall over here. I might go get some picks <laughs> later. I don't know. One more question for you, coach. This has been fantastic. You know, Arizona State, you know, returning 15 starters this season. Jaden Daniels, one of the, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the Pac-12. You guys are in a rare position to go win this conference, compete for a Rose Bowl. And I think we spoke to some of these things here. Leadership. Are these, are these veteran players going to lead this football team? Is Jaden Daniels going to take that next step? What are the things, what has to happen to Arizona State football for you guys to win? It's all said and done, win this conference and go compete for a Rose Bowl. What are the things that have to happen this upcoming season, this pra- th- these practices, and, also, and so forth? Well, I think this. I, I think we, we, we need to get off to a fast start. But more than that, we need to stay healthy. And, um, you know, there's going to be some times uh, in, in, in the fourth quarter we might be behind. we got to find a way to win those games. You know, when you look at us, um, the thing that I'll, I'll give credit to these players for and our coaching staff, We have been very, very competitive in the last three seasons of playing football against competition. And I think there are some games that, uh, and I've always said this, there's more games lost than won. When we're in tight games, we got to win more of those than than, than we lose. You know, like the one-score game, we got to find a way to get the score to win that game. Or, or hold off the team that's trying to come back, right? Or be the team that goes down and scores. And we've done that on both, you know, on, on both sides of it. But we got to do it now more consistently than ever. And if we can do that, we'll have a chance to compete in this this conference and, and, and maybe come out a winner. Really appreciate the time, Coach. This has been fantastic. Best of luck this season. Thank you, my friend. Now joining the 241 Drafts podcast is current Coastal, Coastal Carolina head coach, also AP's coach of the year in 2021, Jamie Chadwell. Jamie, great to have you on the show. Let's start with the elephant in the room. That mullet, my guy, that thing's looking phenomenal. You are crushing. I think you might have the best best hair in college football. It's hard to say. 
Well, you know what? That's my goal. I'm trying. If you if you can't uh, be the best on the field, at least I can look the best off of it, right? So uh, I feel like I'm going back to my uh, elementary, middle school days growing up in Tennessee. I, I had a, a nice perm and everything going back there. So it's amazing how that comes back around. That's fantastic. Well, you are the best on the field. AP's Coach of the Year for good reason. Obviously, had a fantastic season with Coastal Carolina, an 11-1 year, including a big win over BYU, Zach Wilson's BYU, where I want to start as a quarterback position. Obviously, so much spotlight, so many expectations surrounding this kid, Grayson McCall, redshirt sophomore who rushed for over 3,000 yards in high school, threw over 3,500 yards in high school, and after a redshirt 2019 season, really broke out onto the national stage. I know you've had multiple interviews talking about how do you handle success? How does Coastal Carolina, how does Grayson McCall handle success? We'll get to that later. Let's first start about the recruitment process of bringing this three-star Grayson McCall to Coastal Carolina. What drew you to him initially, and how did you get him to the Chanticleers? Well, you know, the first thing is that uh, you mentioned how much he rushed for. So he actually was in a similar system uh, in high school that uh, that we were running and, that, and his, his coaches were running. So they did a really good job with it. So that obviously was the, the, the first draw. I was like, hey, this guy sort of understands what you're doing. Uh, and so, like, hey, the question mark was, hey, we think he can run, but can he throw? And then we got him to camp, and I, we actually thought he threw better than uh, most people – you know, might have thought or might have saw. And so you recruit him. He obviously had some people looking at him, but never really got any just major offers for whatever reason. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, at, at that point in, in uh, where we were at in our program, we're just still trying to build. You know, we didn't have a lot of a lot of winning, obviously didn't have a lot of tradition. Our facilities weren't, you know, where they are now. And he had to, he had to believe in the vision that we had too. And, and uh, he, I don't want to say he fell on our lap because we did recruit him. Obviously, we were one of the very few that actually stuck with him through all the ups and downs of the recruiting process. But uh, we thought once we got him here as a redshirt freshman, hey, this kid's got something. Uh, but I would have never told you it would have been what he did last year, right out of the gate that he did. And so he's, he's obviously a, a you know a special player with room to grow. Shocked the world, I would say that. I guess speak more to the development he's had from what he was when he first got to campus that redshirt freshman season or that redshirt year in 2019 and then as a redshirt freshman this past year, you know, really breaking out. How much development did you see over those two years? And I think where have you seen him grow the most? Well, I would really just say his maturity level. You know, I think when he got here as a as a freshman, you know, he, he was uh, – his ability, you could see, he could throw it and all those things. And you knew he, you know, he liked football, but just the other stuff that goes along with being a quarterback, the studying the class, you know, being a, a true student athlete and being that leader of the, of the, your, your team, not only your offense, but really your team. You know, he wasn't even, even close to that. There was a lot of up and downs from a consistency standpoint. Uh, and he, and he started making a turn there, you know, in uh, the 20 spring, right? In the 20 spring, he made a turn and then obviously COVID hit and everything went out there. And so you thought, hey, he made, he made, he made a turn a little bit, but not having him through that whole offseason, where's he going to end up being? And so I, I would say what surprised me the most is when he came back from that, that COVID deal was just his maturity, and he was ready to take the job. It wasn't like, well, my time will come. Like, he was ready to make his time. And, and sometimes, you know, I have guys that believe in themselves enough to do that, uh, and he did. And, and uh, I think that's where I was most impressed. Obviously, his, his athletic tools and the way he plays quarterbacks impressed, but I think he matured quicker than all of us thought he would. 
to finish on the McCall, and we'll get to some other offensive players as well. I guess set expectations or set the stage for what you think Grace McCall is capable. You know, after what was obviously an outstanding 2020 campaign. I think you spoke to it in an interview with the Athletic. I mean, he has that mentality to keep climbing. He is far from made it. You know, he has the swagger, not necessarily overconfidence, but the right amount of confidence to continue to improve. So, what does that improvement look like for McCall? And I guess maybe set expectations or set a ceiling for what this kid can do. Well, I, I mean, I, I do think his ceiling is, is really high. I think the challenge from from our standpoint is when you when you're so good out of the gate, sometimes you feel like you gotta you gotta be able to top this. And I got you know, I did this many touchdowns. I better get this, or it's a disappointment. And I think what we've tried to do is just the way he's played the game and, and don't change his mentality. You know, he was, he was, he was very, he would rip it when he needed to rip it. He would protect the ball when he needed to protect the ball. And I think sometimes as you, as you go, uh, you get older and you have a little bit more expectations. Sometimes you think you got to do too much and he's got good players around him. And so our big thing is, is just play the way that he is. You don't have to go out there and make every play, uh, make the smart one, make the right one, which is what he did last year. And that's why we had, uh, the success that we had. I think it's it, – you look back and most people that come on out of the gate as a freshman, a lot of them struggle that next year. And I think it's just because of the increased burdens they think they have to throw for this or that. And we've really tried to – I don't say temper expectations by any means. We expect to put him to play well. But also let him know that it's, he's not a one-man team. He didn't have to make it. We, we feel like we got good players around him. Uh, and so – but I do think the difference you'll see this year is this was the first offseason that he had from yeah. a fifth development standpoint and so he's a lot bigger uh he's a lot stronger he's actually quicker this year and so i think that's going to help him uh you know last year he was banged up and you know in a lot of games and part of that was he just didn't have a chance to really get his body and so i think he'll be able to withstand some of those hits you take at the college level i think last year he was listed what six foot three 200 pounds where is he weighing in at these days well, last year he was listed at 200. He was probably about 185. <laughs> he wasn't very big. Uh, but he's he's right at 205 now. That's a legit. So he's he's put on a good 10, 15 pounds uh, and where, you know, physically he looks a lot better. Uh, last year he looked like he was going to a NASCAR race with a six-pack, you know. Under, <laughs> uh, but this year he, he's looking like a college football player. I mean, he also is going to benefit a ton from just how many returning stars you have along the offensive line. I think you have all five returning along the offensive line and two of the best receivers in the Sun Belt this past year, including tight end Isaiah Likely. There's a lot of NFL draft fodder conversation, even Mackey Award conversation around this guy. Six foot four, two forty five. Isaiah Likely, a guy that could legitimately compete for best tight end and the uh, honors in the country. I guess set the tone or set expectations for Likely this upcoming year. What should be probably his last year there at Coastal? Yeah, he, you know he uh, he's 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 got he's a tremendous talent and and he's got a lot of naturalness to him you know natural strength uh, natural uh, run, uh, route running ability uh, and uh, anytime you got a guy as big as him a guy that can go up and win whether it's versus a linebacker you put him out wide versus a corner he's a, he's a good mismatch uh, and he runs really well to be that big and he and he and it's actually deceptive and so uh, we do think he's obviously one of the best uh, in the country we think he's the best in the country obviously we're supposed to but uh, he's. <laughs> talent and he continues to develop I think he can be a complete player you know he's really good in the pass game he's developing uh in our run game he he can dominate at certain times uh and I think he's gotten better this offseason at that you know and and really the his ceiling the sky's the limit Michael Jordan what did what, Michael Jordan say the ceiling is the floor or something like that. <laughs> yeah he's got he's got he does have a high ceiling and but he he wants to he, thing is he wants he does want to be great and so he's not one of these guys that thinks well I'm good I don't have to work he's really trying to 
work hard to be the best that he can be to help our team win and also put himself in the best position to continue to uh, his career to go forward. I want to fit in a recruiting question before we go to another position group. I mean, you've done a really good job of improving the recruiting you know, ability there at Coastal. I think you finished inside the top 90 according to 24-7 Sports this past year. How do you continue to bring talent to Coastal Carolina? Obviously, winning is first and foremost, but you know, speak to the culture that you're bringing to Coastal. It's more than just a teal field out there. You know, There is a lot going on at Coastal Carolina. It's not a flash in the pan. I know you spoke to. You don't want to be one and done. You want to be a consistently in the fabric of the NCAA conversation already inside the top 20 according to PFF's AP poll or PFF's preseason top 25 poll. I guess, how do you continue to bring talent to Coastal Carolina and maintain that kind of upward trajectory in the recruiting ranks? Well, the first thing you mentioned is, is your culture piece. I think you have to have a strong culture, who you are, what you're about, because then if your players enjoy being a part of that culture, they're your best recruiters. Yeah, we have a tilt turf. We've got a nice stadium. We're 15 <laughs> minutes from the from the Atlantic Ocean, so we got a lot of great things. We got a lot of people playing early. Now we're on, you know, we won a championship 11 times on national television, five times again this year. So our brand's getting out more and more. But what sells that is when when recruits come on campus, do they have? Uh, a likeness? Do they have a feeling? Do they, is it home for them with those other players? And our players that are here know, hey, they're going to push you. They're going to develop you to be the best person on and off the field, and, and players are attracted to that. And so our job, we're not getting the best. Like, you know, you mentioned all these guys. Not one of them is a four- or five-star that are pretty good players that have a chance to move on. So we have to develop them. we got to do a great job of that. And so we put a lot of time into that of getting the two-stars or three-star guys, and hopefully they play like a, you know, like a four- or five-star. Uh, and I think that's part of if you see that, if you're a recruit out there and you say, hey, I might be at this point, but these, these people are going to help me get to the get to this point. That's what recruiting is, is identifying what fits your needs, fits your cultures, and helping them best. And, and I think we have a lot to sell from a standpoint of where we're headed. Uh, you know, we, we, we talked about obviously facilities and we're improving those, but I think the culture piece of what we're about here and our brand and, and we're, we're America's team having fun. I think that, you know, people have taken notice of that and they want to be a part of that because football's hard. It's a hard sport now, and you have to put a lot into it, but also you want to enjoy it. And we try to make sure we do that piece as well. Yeah, you guys are the fun team, America's fun team. Uh, two more questions for you, Coach, before I let you go. I really appreciate the time. Let's draw focus to the running back room. You know, losing C.J. Marable, signed as an undrafted free agent with the Chicago Bears this offseason. You have some competition there. Sherry Jones, Reese White, expected to compete for touches in that backfield. How have each of those guys performed in summer, in the, in, in the spring? And I guess, what are your expectations for that group this upcoming year? Well, you know, I, I like both of those guys. I think they both bring something different to the table, uh, and they both played, you know, a decent amount last year. I think the biggest challenge for us, and I, I'm not as concerned about the running piece of it, is CJ was so good out in space with catching the ball in the backfield. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that we're trying to – uh, replace who is that? Is it one of them? Is it one of our younger guys? The depth piece last year, you felt like you had three or four guys that you could put in there that hey, they're in there, we're, we're fine. This year, we've had two that played, and after that, we're you know, we're tossing a coin as to who that next person is in case something happens. So, from a depth standpoint, is our biggest concern. But I will say this it's the most talented group that we've had there since we've been here. We've got we've got some young players, some young freshmen that are going to be pretty good in this league uh, over time, you know, hopefully this year, you know. Uh, but uh, I, I do think with Reese and Shamari being there, that gives them a good example. They both worked hard. They both are selfless players. They both will, they need to block the block if they need to, uh, you know, one of them sideline ones there they're, they've never had an issue with that and so I think that sets a good tone for that room 
that they, when your opportunity comes, you better make the most of it. All right, let's close out with this. You know, all but three starters return to Coastal Carolina. Obviously, bringing back McCall, likely there's so much reason for high expectations for the Chanticleers in 2021 coming off an 11-1 campaign. What are you telling your guys from a goals perspective this year? Is it to go undefeated? Is it to win the Sun Belt or even go beyond that? I guess, what are you consistently preaching as a goal for your for Coastal Carolina this year? You know what? We never uh, in our program really talk about specific goals. Our, our whole thing is – what are we trying to accomplish uh, each week? You know, and, and 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 it starts with a theme that we have every offseason. This theme was about being better. You know, for us, we could go out and play really well, but if we only win ten games, everybody says that's a disappointment, right? Uh, you can have this go. Obviously, we want to we want to win the Sun Belt. And we'd love to go to New Year's Bowl. That's I think that that's you don't have to say that for players to know that. More so, our mindset is. What do we have to do and put the focus back on us every day, every week to go out and play our very best. Everything here, we try to focus on our best, what we can control. Uh, And so all of our stated objectives are about what do we have to do to perform at a high level. And so we put it more back on how are we in third down? How are we in the red zone? How are we going to class? All those little things add up in my mind to winners. And so we do a lot of things here based off of those things. Hey, if you're doing this, then it's going to give us the best chance to do this. And no doubt we want to win every game, you know, and, and but I, we never put it out there and talk about it because I, then I feel like if that's all you talk about when you can't reach that goal, guess what? What are you playing for? So it has to be bigger than that. There has to be a bigger why. And so we always look back and our why has got to be bigger than just winning the game. It's got to be about, be, about each other and the culture that we have. And I think that's why we went and surprised a lot of people last year with the players that everybody's saying, oh, they're great players this year. Last year they said they sucked. <laughs> you know, uh, and so, you know, why, you know, it's a because they played for each other. And that's what that's our goal is to play for each other every day. Truly fantastic stuff, coach. I really appreciate the time. And America's team, I'm tuning in. Our Chanticleers really appreciate the time. And thanks again. Best of luck this upcoming season. Awesome. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. <sighs> Buddy, that was the last, last two for one drafts. That was the last two for one drafts. Mm. End of an era. But start. Of something monstrous. Pour out a smelling salt. For We're going to pour out a smelling salt for two four drafts. But this next rebrand, this next podcast, what we have planned for it is going to be an absolute treat. We are stoked Excited. for Monday. Stoked for Monday. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Max Chadwick. I'm even going to shout out David Sofaro. Producer David Sofaro, producer Mike Quinn, two four drafts. Mm-hmm.